Welcome to this special presentation of Bean Stocking, a radio play by the radio players on WSIU. Tonight's episode of the radio players is Bean Stocking, a play written by Steve Falcone. The intrepid radio players go back to a time of magic beans sprouting sky-high stalks to a land where ogres eat little boys and gold is ripe for the plucking to any soul bold enough. We mean to take a closer peek at Jack's adventure to uncover the reasons for his daring deeds. What truly grew from such transcendent seeds? Can joy be harvested from them? We begin with an introduction of cast in order of appearance. I'm Steve Falcone and I'll be narrating. I'm Elizabeth Donahue and I'll be Dame Durden. I'm Dick Matthews and I'm the bean seller. I'm Christopher Thundy and I'm Jack. I'm Pam Matthews and I'm Olga. I'm Kevin Rathundi, and I'm Olga. <laughs> I'm Peg Falcone, the harp. Scene one. Greetings, fairy tale followers. Tonight we revisit a classic fairy tale with roots as far back as 5,000 years. Who doesn't know the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? Poor woman, the wit's end down to her last scraps, must sell her prized cow, Milky White, for food. To that end, she sends Jack, her slacker son, to market to sell the prized bovine. Naive as well as lazy, Jack swaps the cow for alleged magic beans offered by a suspicious-looking fellow. That launches the basic tale, but do we know the whole story? Here's where we enter the tale for a closer look at this wondrous unfolding. We begin with a mother named Dame Durden, about to sell her cow. For once in your life, be quick about it, Jack. I have a million chores before me. The only two hands the good Lord give me to attend them. Not that I'm complaining, mind you. We must make do as best we can. Ah, affairs went from bad to worse when John, good man that he was, passed on seven months this Monday. How he'd despair to find his field so dry and fallow. Little the help our son has proved, a hopeless dreamer if ever there was one. I can scarce get him to milk the cow, that product of milky white our last sustenance. <sighs> Alas, tis no longer a food source, her milk having dried up. Were it not for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. There's not for it but to send Jack to market to sell Milky White for what he can get. That failing, starvation will surely devour us. Scene two, let us leave the poor woman to her worries and pick up Jack on his way to market, milky white in tow, determined to save the family fortune with sensible bargaining. He had watched the men at their bartering and was anxious to show his stuff. A mere kilometer from market, a funny looking little man appeared before him. Good day, Jack. That's a fine looking cow. Good day, sir. How is it you know my name? I make it my business to keep a weathered eye on sharp-witted lads like yourself. Can you tell me, how many beans make five? Uh, two in each hand and one in your mouth. Sharp as a needle, lad. The kind I don't mind doing a swap with. Your cow for these beans. Go along. Surely you take me for a fool. Ah, but these are magic beans. If you plant them tonight, by morning, they'll grow right up to the sky. Now that is an offer I can't refuse. A cowback guarantee. 
Won't mother be amazed? I believe I shall try my luck further on down the road. Ah, but if the beans don't find the sky, you can have your cow back. Now that is an offer I can't refuse. A cow back guarantee. Won't mother be amazed? Waiting anxiously for her son's return, mother was indeed amazed. Back already, Jack? My heart's been in my throat the whole time with little else to sustain me. Quick now, how much did you get for Milky White? Could it be five pounds? Ten? Fifteen? No, it can't be twenty. I knew you couldn't guess. What do you say to magic beans? So many things a Christian woman cannot. Hear me out, Mother. You plant them today. I've heard enough of your nonsense to last all the years I have left. How could you have been such a dolt to give away Milky White, the best milker in the parish, for a paltry handful of beans? Not even a morsel of taste. Off you go to bed. As for these beans, let the crows munch them if they can. Toss us beans into the barnyard. Scene three. A sad and hungry night passes quickly for Jack. Forlorn at his failures, still young enough that little keeps him from deep sleep. Morning arrives with abundant surprise, a most pleasant one, green as high as the eye can see. The old man spoke the truth. And then some. That beanstalk rises right into the sky. Wonder could I climb up it and see what I might see. No sign of mother. Probably trying to coax an egg out of those worthless hens. Says I'm about as worthless. Time I showed her what a determined man can do. Seems to be no end to it. Well, Jack, you claim to seek adventure. Are you man enough to grasp it? Or still that numbskull Ma claims you to be? Life must be grasped to be gained. Ready or not, here I come for whatever abides in the sky. Courage summoned, Jack leaps onto the stalk and up and up, endlessly he climbs, this small boy in search of large dreams. Jack closes his eyes and prays. Could this folly cost him his life? Not quite. At last, the heavens open before him to reveal a majestic castle, a sight he was not at all certain was truly before his eyes. With no hope of turning back, Jack strides quickly, if shakily, the tall door of the castle to be met there by a very tall and grisly woman. Right at the sight of this creature aside, Jack was a male who, upon seeing a female, expected to be fed. Good morning, Mum. Could you be so kind as to give me some breakfast? Now we all know she's the ogre's wife, but did you know her name is Olga? Olga, the ogre's wife, to be precise. It's breakfast you want, is it? It's breakfast you'll be if you don't move on. My man is an ogre, and there's nothing he likes better than broiled boys on toast. Oh, please, Mom. I've had nothing to eat since yesterday morning, really and truly. Might as well be broiled as die of hunger. Ah, uh, stop plucking my heartstrings. I get enough of that from the harp. Pays a good deal more attention to her than his own wife. She makes a beautiful sound, it must be admitted. Oh, come along, you scamp. There's a bit of bread and cheese in the pantry. Make haste while my husband's still abed. Too late. The ogre's astir. Quick, 
into the oven. I'd rather be eaten. Pinches Jack's arm. Ow! Bony one. My husband loves sucking the bones of young boys. He's partial to hams. Pinches Jack's butt. <laughs> Stop that! In you go while you've still got those juicy hams. Ah! With a shove of both bony hands, Olga thrusts Jack into the iron oven just in the nick of time. Fee-fi-fo-fum! I smell the blood of an Englishman. Be he live or be he dead, I'll grind his bones and make my bread. Nonsense, dear. You're dreaming. Perhaps you smell the scraps of that lad you liked so much for yesterday's dinner. Ah! What was that? Uh, sad to say, dear. There's rats about. Take no notice, love. Go and wash up while I broil these lovely calves for your breakfast. We have no record of the ogre ever washing up. <laughs> he did eat his breakfast, then go to his big chest and take out a bag of gold, which he sat down and counted. One guinea, two guinea, three... Jack had pried open the oven door just enough to see the sack before the ogre. The lad's eyes bulged and heart thumped the sight of more gold than he'd ever seen. He knew in a flash he must have that sack. A larceny born of desperation? We're not here to pass judgment. Though it's hard not to accuse Jack of thievery, a crime punishable by death under the bloody code of George II's reign. But a starving man knows little fear beyond the cry of his empty belly, and we are here merely to observe. I'm that bonk of the ogre's huge head on the table was a clarion call to Jack, who shot out of the oven, snatched the bag of gold, and huffed his way for the door. Oh, who's that boy popping uncooked from the oven? Making off with your coins oh. is what he's about. And about out the door, nasty whippersnapper. How can he get off half-baked like that? Scene four. Crime seems to pay as we peek in on Jack and Dame Durden gnawing huge turkey legs. What say you now, mother dear, of your devoted son? Your foolish dealings have somehow come right. Magic might be in the mix after all. Do we not dine on the finest feast we've ever known? Toothsome treats indeed. Chew slowly, my son. Tis the last of the final fowl in our larder. How came this to be? The fat pack of gold was almost more than I could carry. Coins surely enough to last a lifetime. Well, it might have. Had my darling offspring not chased one adventure after another to improve our lot, a lot we've no longer got. Tis the way of the world, mother, to increase one's holdings lest life pass us by. What these old eyes saw passing by were the numerous devices you kept adding as our sack of gold diminished. Oh, once a man knows he's intended for an adventurous life, must he not pursue his destiny? Might your fate not be to help your family from going under? That's the very reason I bargained for future prosperity. To accumulate numerous exotic seeds at exorbitant prices seems a bad bargain when they lie there, sown to no earthly purpose. Even our starving hens turn their beaks up at your remarkable grains. All brands do not come cheap, my dear. 
They've eaten the bulk of our coin sack. What remains of our golden guineas? Mm. We're eating mm, the last of our hoard. So soon? The coins fly when one buys mancy fancy seeds. <sighs> I take your meaning, Mother. These business ventures of late have not blossomed. <sighs> How swiftly my heedless son has learned the words of the prosperous. The bare fact remains that we once again stare starvation in the face. The chickens. Fattened by your strange seeds, we daren't trust the eating of either bird or egg. Tell me, Jack, what oddity have you noticed amongst our birds? Um. That hen pecking at your boot, the, the purplish hue. Are they diseased? Never eat a violet hen. God, but just popped. They tend to do that, thinning the flock as well as paying caution to any idea of eating them. Oh, these Easter eggs would never do at market. Lord preserve any who chew them. Flung savagely back into the grip of poverty to say nothing of hunger. The less said, the better. Must save our strength for the lean days ahead. Hurts my heart to hear of us back in dire circumstances. Is there nothing to be done? I seek your maternal wisdom, my vision for success having once again faltered. Speak freely, good dame. My ears are at your disposal. Dame Durden is silent. She lets her eyes travel to the beanstalk and up it, a lingering gaze not escaping Jack's nose. You can't mean... A treacherous trek of life and limb in the climb to be met by an ogre who eats boys and doubtless knows I've stolen his gold. Of which you've said there's plenty more. So you've said many times over. I did, I did, and the foolish crow of arrogant youth, time has opened my eyes to the danger. True for you, my child. I should be more fearful of your safekeeping. We tarry no longer. The time has come to consider Squire Farley's offer. For the farm? Oh, tis a fair, if by no means generous proposal. Never shall that cat step foot on his property. We've no other choice, my child. This child has proved himself a man, and she'll do so again. My heart wishes to cry. No, 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 tis far too deadly a way to go. But my mind reminds me that our bodies must daily be fed. Such a quandary to find ourselves in. What in such sorry state to do? This heartfelt message was delivered by the good dame with hands clasped to her bosom and eyes cast to the tippy top of the beanstalk with clouds gathered round it. The pose she held for dramatic effect was not lost on Jack. <sighs> Your meaning is taken, Mother the depths of my quivering bones. No longer the headstrong lad of youth, still I stand bound to the duty of family and farm and will, by the grace of God, storm that castle once more and escape with what plunder I might to set our dire circumstances to right. Joy floods my heart at your words, dear one. Those clouds begin to darken. Best be on your way. Scene five. <sighs> I don't recall the climb being so rough. <clears throat> or the leaves being so soft. 
season slip by easily, more quickly for the luxurious existence I've had. <sighs> Settling into comfort comes so naturally, seldom expecting so much ground to shift under one's feet. <sighs> no need to look back, let alone down, praying one doesn't fracture his crown. Damnation to all stocks that grow green! <sighs> At last, and as lovely as I last heard, trip to the castle's a snap. Sneaking in unseen is fraught with pitfalls. Boldness is all. I shall walk in assured of a welcome. What boy stands at our castle door, offering himself for the ogre's next meal? Tis I, Jack. I, or you, either will do for my husband's breakfast. I've been here before. Tis my second coming. Ah, yes. Now I peer closely. These old eyes recognize you, Jack. So, you've come back. To what purpose, I wonder? Come, let me guess. The sparkle of golden guineas in the light? Rest assured, this time my man will put up a fight. A battle that'll end not at all well for you. If I am to die, dear lady, why did not be on a Full stomach as well as an empty. I fear I grow faint as we speak. Old and wizened as she was, a young one hungry before her stirred some emotion she could not name nor ignore. Ah, uh, sit ye down quietly while I prepare a quick bite. He stirs! Into the... I know, I know. Into the oven I go. Once again, the ogre sucked marrow from bits of bone left from yesterday's meal. Mm. This time, however... Ogre's after-repast request was of a different tune. Wife, bring me the hen that lays golden eggs. Ogre, of course, did as she was bade. Lay! A sound somehow soothing to the ogre, whose head began to nod and nose to snore. <sighs> Seeing his chance, Jack tiptoed from the oven, nabbed the hen, and away he went. This gold source was alive, alas! and squawked at the clutch of unfamiliar oh, hands, the fingers much too tiny to the touch one would imagine, again? enough yeah. to make any foul cry. The house was aroused, the ogre awake and thirsty for the blood of this thieving Englishman. The ogre followed the echo of his distressed hen with a stride that swiftly ate up the distance between them. His best efforts hounded by ogre and bloody chicken scratches, Jack arrived at the beanstalk just before his foe and leapt into the depth of greenery. The stench of ogre breath hot on his collar. Ogre was sadly... Oddly, afraid of heights. The sight of the beanstalk shifting in the wind made the ogre begin to sway, groggy and unsure where he was bound, frozen, the turf had tumbled to the ground. Jack was thus free to scramble all the way down to his farm, plant both feet again on his land. Dame Durton's gasp at the bloodied sight of her son soon turned to joy at the glow of the golden hen. The stalk shook with the ogre's wrath, but gave no sign of a giant descent. The wind echoed his roar, yet was no more than a whisper of his temper. Jack placed the hen on the ground and said, Lay. A sound that grew warmer each beat of Dame Durden's heart. Her problem solved, worries gone, beaming at the pile of golden eggs in her lap, bewitched by the gleam that shone back.
Scene six. Life has its cycles, and fairy tales age in threes. Jack and his dame rode that fabulous fowl to untold wealth. Gold that flew faster from the farm than it plopped out of the hen. How swiftly, eh? We spend above our assets, beyond our reasonable means. Mother and son grew loose in opulent expenditures. Lavish finery and sumptuous dining whittle away the shiniest eggs in an instant. So did it seem to mother and son, thrust back to a famished state, withered within their silken brocade. Suitable attire for burial, the obvious thought too grim to be given voice. I'm starving. Two minds in complete accord. <sighs> Tis time to barter this finery for food to sustain us in our leaner garb. Leave off this reasoning that gains no ground on our woes. Course is marked clearly before me. Path to gold in the sky when none other goes. Dear heart, do I not... pray thee, good dame, spare me the ritual breast-beating and eye-rolls. We both know them as empty gestures. My love... Was I... never in doubt, mother. Our motives I now see as one. We want what's been denied us since birth, our rightful share of the goods of life, the means to a comfortable day after night. Do we not deserve a decent life? Indeed we do, my son. Have we not toiled a lifetime to no fruitful gain? A resounding amen. Applying the stealth I've acquired by craft, I ascend the greenery once again, securing the knowledge that theft can assure us of wealth. Scene seven. <sighs> 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 this task grows no easier with repetition. <coughs> Some element of the foliage now troubles me when it never had before. Oh, it cannot be helped as best ignored. <coughs> this cough must be stifled by the time I've topped the stock, or I'm undone before I've begun. This adventure grows less and less fun. The clouds are parting. Silence is now my best weapon. Stealth plays a large part in this mission. No longer the front door for me. Furtive steps clear a path to future success. Exposure is the enemy. Hark, the wife strides forth to toss more bones on a pile that rises already above her reach. Deep enough to bury a corpse in. While Olga's away, I must hasten to hide myself in the breadbox. None will seek me there. Fee-fi-fo-fum! I smell the blood of an Englishman! I smell him, wife! I smell him! Do you, dearie? Well, if it's the little rogue that stole your gold and the hen, then he's sure to have got into the oven. Olga and the ogre rush to the oven to find... Not a sign of Jack anywhere. Uh, You and your fee-fi-fo-fum! Your old nostrils are a day late on the scent. That's the boy you caught last night, and I've just broiled for your breakfast. How careless you are not to know the difference between a cooked boy and an uncooked boy after all these years. But I could have sworn that I... Ogre did swear vehemently, muttering under his breath as he scoured the ladder and scattered the cover's contents to no avail. Where are you? Jack's good fortune had held as Ogre never gave a glance or thought to the bread box. Breakfast was calves, but no toast. Well, wife, bring me 
my golden harp. Olga carried in this instrument of delicate strings with the face of a beautiful golden maiden. Sing! You guessed it. In no time, that hoary old head was drooling on the table. Seizing the moment, Jack crept from the bread box as silent as a crumb, swept up the golden harp, and was clean away, almost. Master, master! Cried the terrified harp, bringing the ogre awake in a rage. Off Jack sped at a dead run, pardon the expression, hindered every step by the harp's cries and protestations. Bloody hell. That soul-shattering bellow only served to quicken Jack's pace. Oh, you'll not get away this time. He knew full well this race was for his life. You must give me up. My master will not stop until you are eaten. Save yourself. Leave me here and please. <laughs> Your words fall on deaf ears. If I fail to return with you, my mother and I die by starvation. There's none other for me but this path. You are our only hope for survival. Our bread and butter, our life note. Now shut up. Youth has its edge, as Jack jumped on the greenery, stalk in one hand, harp in the other, steadily descending. Not this time! When the ogre's weight shook the pole, the race was on. The stakes could not have been higher. Jack knew he must win this chase at all costs. With his house in sight, Jack called down to his mother. Mother! Mother, fetch me the axe! Stunned by the sway of the greenery, Dame Durden stood at the foot of the beanstalk, heart in her hands, which was quickly replaced by the axe her son desperately requested. All but tumbling off the tree, Jack handed the golden harp to his mother and took the axe to the stalk. One vicious thwack into the soft-centered bean tower sent the stalk toppling to the ground, with the ogre right behind landing with a thunderous crash. All stood stunned, but for the soft weeping of the harp, lamenting her master's end. Why cry tears for one who enslaved you? Down here, my dear, you shall sing only for your own pleasure. If others come to delight in your tune and pay a small price, you shall share in the earnings. Truly? You have my word. I've never. We didn't suppose you had, love. You shall be one of the family. Be placed wherever you please. You're your own free person with us. A person? Oh, why not? We've got ideas and opinions, as do we all. Alas, I lack arms and legs. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. <laughs> You're gifted with strings that make heavenly music, a joy to us all. Few bring such richness to others beyond the worth of gems. Do you truly believe folk will pay to hear me sing? I would, if I had any guineas. Oh, Jack, you shall never have to pay. My voice is my gift to you for rescuing me, for I see now that I was but a prisoner of Ogre and Olga. Welcome to the family. A happy, if curious, family it became, with Harp pleasing her customers by day with celestial strings and herself by night humming by the fire, an unusual trio who lived in perfect harmony. The End Beanstalking is an original radio play written by Steve Falcone and performed by the radio players. This play was recorded live in the studios of WSIU Radio with post-production editing by Hanise Kupwet. <laughs>